Hey guys, just before we begin this podcast, I would like to tell you about our sponsors, McCann Fitzgerald, who we are incredibly lucky to have as a sponsor, as they are one of the top law firms in the country. One of the things we've noticed about them, after speaking with so many different law firms, is that while clearly being a top-tier firm, they also have a clear human touch to what they do and are very forward-thinking. Partners are very involved with graduates and trainees, which seems to have cultivated this incredible culture for people to stay for a long time because they enjoy it and feel part of the community. So if you're looking for a career in law, definitely check out their career site, as it seems to be a really great place to work. Hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome back to the Grad Life Podcast. Today we've got with us, we're very lucky to have with us, uh, Catherine Dean, who is a partner in aviation finance in McCann Fitzgerald and also the chair of McCann Fitzgerald. So Catherine, thanks a million for joining. Thank you for inviting me, Mark. Lovely to be talking to you on this nice, bright, sunny Tuesday morning. It's a lovely day, um, even over in London. So... (laughs) Look, this podcast is obviously for students and graduates trying to figure out what they're going to do, mostly within the context of law and uh, where in a law firm they might fit, how a career in law pans out for people, etc. You've had a pretty exceptional career in law. Why did you get into it? Uh, When you were in college, what were you kind of thinking and planning? Okay, well, I suppose when I started college, what I wanted to do was to do, first of all, a law degree. And what uh, pushed me towards law, believe it or not, was a program that was on television at the time, back in the 80s, or when I was looking to go into college, a a program called the, the, The Paper Chase. And it was about two law students, and I can't remember whether they were in Yale or Harvard. But uh, I followed their law career through that university and said, I'd like to be like one of those. So I went into college first to do a law degree. And like many, many students, and I'd say anybody listening to this, when you're doing a a degree in college, you've really no idea how that relates to actually what Uh, implementing the academic side of what you've studied into the practical side of what we do in a law firm. But I suppose I was never too concerned about that. Uh, At that stage, I would have lived in the power of the now, as they call it. I was enjoying everything that I studied in law. So I was just enjoying doing a law degree in Trinity and uh, didn't have a big plan. Uh, I knew I wanted to be a solicitor. I knew I didn't want to be barrister, but that wasn't any big deep thought process on my part. So um, when I finished the law degree uh, back in those days, there weren't as many places at all for people to get uh, what was called then an apprenticeship is now called a training contract. But I was fortunate that McCann Fitzgerald, along with a very few other law firms, held competitive interviews for um, uh, uh, apprenticeships. And I got one of those and it just went from there, really. Interesting. So you went in uh, with the vision of being a lawyer, but not a clear vision of exactly what type yet. Not, 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 not a clear vision, not a clue, I would say, Mark, to be perfect, to be perfectly honest with you. And, and that is the great thing about, um, uh, you know, a training contract in a firm like McCann Fitzgerald. Even back then, when you went in, you were given, you were rotated throughout the various departments within McCann Fitzgerald. So you got a taste or a flavor for very different aspects of law. 
And even back in those days, the trainees sat in the room with the partner on the basis, and they still do in McCann Fitzgerald. And the thinking behind that was that you learn a huge amount by osmosis. Mm. So I went in <clears throat> and I did my first six months in what was then called conveyancing and is now called real estate. <clears throat> and then I moved to the insolvency department. And then for my final seat, I moved what was then our commercial department, uh, working with a partner who's, who had a very strong practice, both in financial services, because the IFSC was just getting started then, and also in aviation finance. And it was just by happen chance, really, that when it came to qualify, I that my final seat, as we called it, was was with that partner, and I just stayed on with him. And at that time, aviation finance in the eighties was just absolutely taking off in Ireland. Pardon. So, not, not a grand plan at all, Mark. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a great pun there on taking off with aviation finance. So, for people who aren't aware of that, uh, Ryanair, the founder is Tony Ryan, and. Before Ryanair, Tony Ryan had an enormously successful company called GPA, Guinness Peed Aviation, which was the, the world leader in aviation finance and leasing aircraft to airlines. So, Catherine, you were actually involved uh, with GPA as, as a trainee, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the first big cases that I worked on as a trainee was back uh, towards the end of the 80s. Uh, GPA was putting together a, a financing facility or a corporate credit facility, as we called it. And at that stage, GPA had a huge appetite for money because planes are expensive and they had huge orders with all the manufacturers with Airbus and Boeing. And the first case I worked on actually as a trainee was a 1.5 billion corporate debt facility and to put that in context at the time it was the largest financing that had ever been done by a company that wasn't quoted uh, on a stock exchange so I mean if you think even today to borrow 1.5 billion would be an enormous amount of money but think of what it was like back in the 80s it was an incredible amount of money and they went on to increase the amount of that facility to 2.5 billion and they put together a number of equivalent facilities in a number of joint venture companies so i mean it really was exciting i mean i remember going uh, the the banks on the other side were represented by freshfields which was a big law firm in london that had a very strong uh, banking and finance practice and the first meeting that we had there were so many people at the meeting that freshfields big big law firm in london didn't have a meeting room big enough for us all to for us all to be in the one room so very exciting as a young trainee going over to london meeting you know top lawyers top bankers top top advisors uh, that were really at the very very top of their game and mm -hmm. for me working in mccann fitzgerald with partners who are at the very top of their game and could absolutely compete knowledge wise ability wise uh, with partners in, in the top law firms around the world ah interesting so that must have been obviously in one way reassuring but also quite inspiring to see i'd imagine yeah inspiring and scary at the same time because uh as a young trainee your job was really to assist and help uh the partners that i was working with and, and a lot of in that amount of money that was being borrowed and the structure that we were using was the first time that we were using ownership of assets by a special purpose company as the security mechanism as opposed to traditionally having mortgages uh, you know and security over the individual asset so a lot of technology new legal technology being developed so i mean that was really exciting
really really exciting oh, that's really cool the, the gpa thing i've always just been enthralled by so you're talking about going over to fresh fields and you, you know you say that these uk lawyers at the top of their game and that's the a leagues and this sort of stuff uh i would imagine that corporate ireland back then it wasn't on an international plane it, like a lot of the stuff going on wasn't a leagues like it was kind of more of a, a regional or, or parochial feel to it but gpa truly was i'd imagine yeah, I mean, it was global. I mean, I mean, all of these aircraft, remember, that we were borrowing money to finance were all on lease to airlines around the world. Mm. So you are dealing with the finance aspect of it and then dealing with all the local jurisdictions around the world uh, as regards taking security over aircraft, uh, taking security over companies. Um, I mean, back in the day, the leasing of a chattel, like everybody knew about leasing of land, uh, but leasing of a chattel, some jurisdictions, they weren't even sure whether the leasing of a chattel was a concept that was actually uh, recognized in their law. Uh, other things like trust agreements that people on this side uh, in a common law jurisdiction would very much take for granted. Many jurisdictions, civil jurisdictions, jurisdictions in, in the Far East, jurisdictions in South America, many of them don't in their domestic law recognize the concept of a trust. So yeah. lots of things uh, to be looked at uh, that, as I said, now are part of the legal landscape that we're all working with. But then we were actually creating it. Do you see much of that? Like you've had a, you know, you've been in law for quite a while. Has law changed or evolved? Well, I, yeah, well, I think that the, the absolutely, I think that the great thing about law is that it is evolving all of the time because we have our body of law and then you have entrepreneurs and you have, uh, you know, people in the finance world. They are continuously coming up with, one for a better word, new products mm. to do business. And, and, and the role of the lawyer is to work out what of our current legal principles we can wrap around those new products uh, that they're coming up with. So that's one big challenge. Uh, I think the other challenge is the whole area of regulation and the amount of, of, of law that is being produced and coming out, particularly out of the EU and particularly out on the regulatory side. Yeah. Remember, when I was a trainee, we didn't have mobile phones. We didn't have Google search. So, I mean, the, the body of law was, in some cases, pieces of legislation that were 50, 60, 70 years old that were drafted at a time when many of the things that we were looking at and our clients were trying to do was never, ever envisaged by that yeah. legislation. Yeah, like so. You, you you don't allude directly to there, but I'm guessing we're talking about say the EU regulation of data requirements and all this sort of stuff. I'm interested in your take on that to the extent that you're allowed to share it. Mine is this: in doping with cycling and different sports, they say that the uh, the best paid kind of what would they be doctors or biologists are paid by the cyclists and not the regulators, and so the dopers are always one step ahead of the referees. Is that the case, do you think, maybe with this technology stuff as well, where the large tech companies who are kind of under fire about their data regulations are always a, a step ahead of the regulators? And is that just a, a dynamic that's going to continue? Well, I don't know. I think on, on the whole data space, uh, particularly, uh, and we have a very strong data commissioner here, which is very alive, who's very alive to what is going on. So I, I, I think the answer to that is 
the the the, the ability in any regulated industry for the participants in the industry to stay ahead of the regulator i think is is directly related to the ability and talent and ambition of the regulator and the resources that that regulator has mm -hmm. so so i think you know i'd say if you, if you, if you look back uh, at the last financial crisis and there was a lot of criticisms around our regulators in terms of um the financial service industry and banks and lenders and whether they should have done more uh, and I think history would say, yes, they should have. But I think now there's a much bigger focus and awareness on having regulators, top class regulators uh, uh, in the area rather than uh, people, uh, regulators that are there to fulfill a role rather than drive that role and, uh, and be on top of the brief. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. L lawyers from uh, the McCann Fitzgeralds of the world are very well placed to go in and have a lot of like public impact with that stuff maybe after a corporate career. Do you see people do that much? Uh, well, we do. We, well, what we see is is a lot of um, even the partners in in firms like McCann Fitzgerald in the in their current working life. I mean, they would see they would have in in a lot of work and advice they give to regulators and and to others that they had. They are wearing a public interest hat in it. Uh, so we'd be very conscious that if you look particularly at Ireland, which is, say, a centre of excellence for aviation, uh, mm. a lot of the big pharma, big tech companies are here. I mean, lawyers have to have the highest quality integrity principles to maintain the integrity and attractiveness as Ireland as a jurisdiction yeah. to attract people in. So I think absolutely, uh, you know, the lawyers have to look after their their clients and act in their best interest if the client is not on the regulator side. But I think you always, always, always have to remember that you're giving advice in, in, in a context of a jurisdiction, a place people live in. And so um, we would never think that you can be too smart uh, in, in terms of pulling a fast one so mm. the type of advice we give would be much more uh, broader than that we would take account of many things and not just whether we can give advice that skirts the law uh, that wouldn't be an approach we would take and that's I think due to so many years looking to protect a small jurisdiction like Ireland and to keep it at the very centre and fore of excellence in relation to the legal advice we give to our clients. Yeah, and it's like it's standing in Europe as well. The, the, the stakes exactly. are high there, you know. Absolutely, and I think you know a jurisdiction can lose its 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 um its its, its attractiveness very quickly, mm. and 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 we look at it even in the aviation space where we see many jurisdictions around the world trying to replicate uh, the success that Ireland has had in that space. So you have Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, and many of the the um, throughout China they've set up uh, like tax free zones, very much like what would have been originally set up down in Shannon and in the IFSC. And they would very much like, you know, to, to take the business that Ireland has. So we are very, very conscious in everything we do uh, to make sure that we maintain the, 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 the excellent standards within Ireland that continues to make Ireland attractive as a location for global businesses, global um, equity providers, global players in aviation continue to come to Ireland. Yeah. It must have been amazing to have been part of that wave. Like, 
30 years, I'd say, of riding the wave of what Ireland has been the best at commercially, I would say, ever, from my knowledge, anyway. Yeah. It, it must have been so much fun and, yeah, hugely rewarding. Yeah, well, I think what 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 I think you got out of it, you 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 came across as clients, uh, both your own clients and counterparties on the other side, like people who were excellent. You know, I mean, really innovative, brave, um, ambitious people, and actually working for and with clients that are at that level, they drive you to a higher level. I mean, the best type of clients to have are clients that are like 20, 50, 100 times smarter than you are because mm. they keep you going. And I think what you come across as well, because it is such a, a global industry, I mean, huge amounts of different personalities over the years that as, as a young lawyer, you look at, you see the way different people manage different situations, you know, people under pressure. Uh, and, you know, there's a huge amount of learning. And, and, and I suppose that's one thing I'd say to anybody starting off in any career, everything you do is an opportunity to learn everything so keep your eyes open keep your ears open do get involved in everything that you're doing to the fullest extent of your ability and you will absolutely learn i think every day should be an opportunity to learn yeah for sure i'm just thinking about like that education there'd be a huge business component to that education and i guess where that question comes from is a lot of lawyers very successful ones go into law having done a business degree and a lot of young business students out there are probably tempted by law and wondering if there's a place for it in them or if their commercial appetites will be met. And it sounds like a lot of the activity, like something I've learned on this series myself, is it is hugely commercial. And mm. you are essentially business people just with a certain skill set pertaining to the law. It, what would be your comment on that? Well, I mean, I remember giving a piece of advice when I was a young lawyer which was when you're looking at transactions and they're very complicated and you're wondering why they're doing them, someone said to me, always follow the money. <laughs> so work out where the money starts off and where the money ends up. And, uh, you know, and I think that is, that is one thing that clearly lawyers need to do. You need to understand what the client is trying to achieve, uh, you know, where they want to end up at the end of a transaction. Uh, so I do think that, that, yes, you have to be able to, to, to understand the business imperative of why a client is doing a particular thing and then our job then is to put structure around that as regards the legal structure and to make sure it works and to make sure if things go wrong that you've legislated for that within your documents so so you are following the money but at the same time looking around corners so what could go wrong in this and let's see yeah. if we can minimize the risk on that in the documentation what would you say to the business students who are thinking about going into law, like from a business degree? They have to do those conversion exams, but yeah. they're on a level playing field, right? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, we, we would have had over the years and still have <clears throat> in McCann Fitzgerald a number of um, uh, uh, associates, a number of partners that didn't do either a business degree or a law degree. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I had uh, one uh, uh, terrific uh, uh, trainee and a young associate that worked with me a number of years ago. He had an archaeology degree. But I'll tell you what, what it was, what all of the people who had uh, came from a discipline, say, that wasn't law or wasn't business. What they had was an inquiring mind. Hmm. Their mind was open 
to absorb information. So I think that's what it's about. You can do a law degree and not have an inquisitive mind or an open mind. And you're not in any better position than someone who has an open mind and has no law degree. So I think yeah. it is all about, you know, ability to learn, to listen, uh, to open up your mind, not to box yourself into, into any particular you know, way that you think, well, I haven't got a law degree, therefore I can't look at a legal problem. Absolutely not. I mean, if someone said to me, would I read an archaeology book? Yes, I would. I'd make, I'd read it. I'd try and work it out. Hmm. That like the same is true. And like, you're not going anywhere without an open mind. We had a, guy, a great chat with um, Karen Harty about this. And her kind of trick was to read uh, fiction and not to, you know, a lot of people these days, Feel like they need to cram as much non-fiction into no. them as possible and you know get inverted commas smarter but if you want to get anything get wiser by reading exactly uh, stories and you know any other kind of tips or tricks like that on how to feed that inquisitiveness because you know bearing, bearing in mind a lot of these guys are just they're just out of a rote educational system to do the leaving search yeah. there you know they're kind of told hit these marks and then things will progress yeah but yeah, but but I but I think what what you have to do is that like all of us are different, right? And the way we work and the way we approach our work is very different, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think that uh, the the what I've like when you start off as a young lawyer, when I was starting off at, at GPA, there was I mean I knew nothing. Like I mean, no point saying I knew a little bit. I knew nothing, but I didn't. I I wasn't afraid. Maybe that's the point. I wasn't afraid and I wasn't afraid because I knew that I wasn't stupid and the reason why I didn't know it was not something I should be ashamed of and actually if you don't know something and this is really really key I think never ever be afraid to ask a question and never ever ever pretend you understand something when you don't right so so and that's not to say you ask a question without trying to work out the answer but if you've tried your best to work out the answer or to work out what's going on and you still can't move forward then you go and you ask the question and you ask someone to explain it to you because you know if if you're if you don't follow it it may be just that there genuinely is a piece of missing information. Mm. Somebody could have misexplained something to you. You could have picked up something the wrong way. So I never felt it was a problem not being able to follow anything, provided you didn't pretend or, yeah. you know. So so I, that, that's what I would say. Speak up. Ask a question. It's funny. I fell into that trap myself in an investment bank as a grad, so I would definitely echo that. You know, I think that's really important. A bit of a left field question for you. When you joined the firm in 1984, did you imagine that it would one day have uh, a woman chair? Um, well, now that's a very interesting question because when I arrived in McCaffrey Sherald in 1984, uh, I mean, I had a sense at that stage that McCann Fitzgerald, they had, when McCann Fitzgerald at that stage had quite a number of female partners, probably, and I don't know whether this is uh, absolutely correct, but my sense was we had more female partners than any of the other uh, equivalent size law firms in Dublin at the time. And my sense in McCann Fitzgerald was it seemed to be full of amazing women, amazing women partners. And in McCann Fitzgerald, the approach the whole time from the first day I walked in, I wasn't Catherine Dean, a female lawyer. I was Catherine, the lawyer. So people only ever judged you on your ability as a lawyer, what you spoke, 
what you wrote, what you read. So, I mean, I'd have thought going into a firm like McAmstrel, there was absolutely no boundaries for anybody. It was, you know, we practiced and lived diversity and inclusion before anybody was even beginning to talk about diversity and inclusion. So I never felt, and even going to meetings when, you, you know, you might be the only uh, uh, female in the room, I was never, ever concerned about that. I was only ever concerned about fulfilling my job, which was to be a lawyer. Uh, and I suppose I was very fortunate in in aviation uh, finance and the space that I worked in. Huge, a huge amount of strong women clients that I've had over the years as well that have shaped and contributed to, to Ireland as a centre of excellence for aviation. So I saw women uh, at the top of their game as being something that I took for granted. I, I, I didn't think it was, it wasn't any struggle whatsoever. That's very, I wasn't expecting that. That's very, I knew yeah. was, was uh, good on this sort of stuff, but I didn't know that that would be rooted as far back as uh, the 80s and obviously beyond if it was like that when you got there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That there was there was n nothing in my mind that thought uh, the legal environment or legal environment in Dublin or legal environment globally or aviation finance was an area that, you know, uh, women shouldn't even think about. Ne never occurred to me. Is law ahead on that front? Do you think? I think it is. I think it is. I think the. I think if you look at the number of 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 lawyers that are getting practicing certs uh, every year from the law society, I think it's probably, you know, sixty five maybe female uh, there thereabouts. Um, at the bench, the bench is very representative. Uh, mm. Has a strong um, uh, number of of judges. So yes, I do think that as regards um, uh, female representation, the law has a very very good reputation in that regard. Interesting. That's yeah, it's brilliant to hear. And I, I like I'm asking it from the perspective of any uh, young female students who are listening to this, wondering if if a glass ceiling is something they're going to have to face at some point in their career. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I'd say absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, we're running out of time here, so I think I might jump into the last three questions for you, uh, which, in any order you choose, would be any book you recommend, any advice, uh, the best advice you've been given, and then a quote to live by if you have one. Okay, now a book. I mean, so many, so many books. And and I'd say maybe just a general comment about, about books and reading. I read so much during the day. And when I'm reading in work, it's high levels of concentration. So when I read at home, I tend to read something that just transports me away with language. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I like, I like the classics. So, um, one book actually I did read for the first time in college was Evelyn Waugh's Brideshead Revisited. Uh, and it was actually being serialized on the television at the time. And in fact, during the last lockdown, I listened to it as an audio book read by Jeremy Irons. And like the language, everything about it, just beautiful. It just transports you. Uh, Jeremy it, Irons doing an audio book would be yeah. like, <laughs> yes. really lovely. Yeah. Um, uh, quote to live by. Let me think about that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you get to particular stages in your life and you probably get you, people at different stages may give different answers to that. But my view is in, in, in every aspect of, of, of your life, uh, you know, a little bit of kindness and uh, good humor goes a long way. Mm. 
Right. Uh, and the best advice given, oh goodness, I suppose I've been given so much good advice over the years, you know, when I was coming up uh, as an associate and a partner in McCann Fitzgerald by, you know, very wise partners that were that were ahead of me. But I know the advice that I give to the associates in, in my group just around work and approaching their work, I'd say absolutely read everything, assume absolutely nothing, uh, believe nobody and i don't mean that means people are lying but people will say i understand something and they don't yeah. and the third and the other thing which i've already probably mentioned already on this call is never ever be afraid to ask a question yeah nice um and then last little bit this is actually the last question any parting bit of wisdom or advice you would give to the listeners Okay, I, I would say, and, and this is one thing that I think is important about your working life, and, and I don't mean to, to, to underestimate, you know, the seriousness of what we do, but, you know, remember, we spend a lot of our time in work. It is so important that you enjoy it as well. I mean, I keep saying to people, remember the F word, and the F word is fun, yeah. you know, just remember that. I mean, and I would say, yes, even in the most trying of circumstances, you look back on it and you say, well, you make the most of it. But I think with your friends, your colleagues, people on the other side, you know, you need to enjoy what you're doing. You won't yeah. get the best out of yourself unless you're enjoying it. I couldn't agree more. That's huge. Well, Catherine Dean, thank you so much for joining us. That's been a huge pleasure.